Welcome everyone to Mosaic News, our kitchen table, where we discuss important topics for life and faith at Mosaic Christian Fellowship. Uh, today I want to talk about Lent and Ash Wednesday. Both <clears throat> Lent and Ash Wednesday have become popular and mainstream with evangelical Christians in the United States lately, and um, interestingly, uh, popular with younger evangelicals. Um, but today I want to talk about the fact that we at Mosaic Christian Fellowship haven't engaged in the practice of Lent publicly and as a congregation. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And a couple of people have asked me about that and wondering why we don't. And I'm pretty sure that lots of people are wondering uh, why we don't do, do uh, Lent and Ash Wednesday together. So I want to talk about the history of the practice and uh, why I've decided against leading us into it as a church publicly. Uh, when it comes to the history of Lent, there's some disagreement, actually, about the earliest actual records of the practice. But most historians agree that in about 325 AD at, at the Council of Nicaea, um, Lent was discussed. Uh, a 40-day uh, Lenten season uh, was talked about at the Council of Nicaea and recorded. Um, but actually, that Lent that they talked about at the Council of Nicaea, it was a little bit different because it wasn't the kind of Lent that's celebrated today. Uh, what they talked about at the Council of Nicaea was a 40-day fast specifically for new converts, uh, preparing them for baptism on Easter Sunday. So what they were talking about at the Council of Nicaea was not for the entire church. So it was a little bit different, but soon after the Council of Nicaea, what we see is that the practice rapidly spreads to the entire church. And although the practice moved um, to every corner of the church and everyone started to do it, uh, actually how the, the practice was done in the church uh, varied from place to place. And the Eastern Church, for example, only fasted on weekdays, and the Western Church, uh, their Lent was a little bit shorter than the Eastern Churches. Um, but what was common uh, with both the Western and the Eastern Churches in that time is they only took one meal a day, and they didn't eat any meat, fish, or dairy. Um, and it was actually Gregory the Great who moved the beginning of Lent to a Wednesday. It wasn't there before, but he moved the beginning of Lent to, to a Wednesday to make sure that it was exactly 40 days, excluding Sundays, uh, to Easter. And so that Wednesday that Gregory the Great, um, the Pope, moved it, that Wednesday is called Ash Wednesday, uh, where Christians come to church and they receive a symbol of repentance, the ashes on the forehead, and uh, it shows that we came from dust and that we would return to dust and that we ought to live a life of repentance um, because of that, which actually, if, if you were to ask me, that's not exactly true. We don't return to dust, so uh, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure um, if that's the right thing, but you know, that's another episode. But um, I think that it's, it's good and right to connect it instead um, to the sackcloth and ashes that we see in the Old Testament, which was a symbol of repentance and a symbol of mourning. I think that's much better than to connect it to from dust you came and to dust you will return, because for us, we believe that dust is not our ultimate end point. Anyway, not to get off topic. Uh, but historically, yeah, from there, the Lenten practices changed a lot. And uh, through history, they were relaxed, really, as time went on. And, and the biggest changes came actually during the Protestant Reformation. Um, and while some Protestants during the Reformation continued to observe Lent, uh, the Calvinists rebelled against it. 
And John Calvin, the reformer, said that there was absolutely no biblical basis for Lent, and he actually called it man's tradition and works righteousness. So he was really against Lent. And he also said that Jesus never set aside specific times for fasting and that the Lenten season led people to believe in salvation by works. And so John Calvin was pretty tough on Lent. And John Owen, the Puritan English reformer, was not you know, any softer on Lent. Uh, he said that Lent actually made it much more difficult for people to believe in the complete, sufficient work of Jesus. And so that it could be really problematic because it could lead some people to trust in their own work rather than the work of Christ. Uh, so both John Owen and John Calvin, uh, very tough on Lent. Uh, but probably the most famous debacle of the Reformation um, when it comes to Lent, it, it probably was the story of Zwingli and the affair of the sausages. And if you've never heard uh, this, uh, Zwingli was a Swiss reformer in the 16th century, and one of his congregants uh, was a printer in the city, meaning they printed things like the Bible. And uh, the printer, he and his team had just completed a brand new edition um, of Paul's letters. And it was a, a huge work and a lot of work for him and his team. And his team you know, uh, did this and they wanted to celebrate and they were exhausted. And so the printer, uh, to celebrate with his team, decided to buy uh, some sausages uh, for the, you know, his team after their accomplishment to encourage them and, and to lift their spirits. But this was the season of Lent. You're not supposed to eat meat, fish, or dairy, and sausages were definitely um, not allowed. Now, Zwingli, um, the Swiss reformer, was there at the meal, but he didn't actually eat the sausages. He was just pr present there. And, um, but there was this public outcry over this event, and the printer was swiftly arrested for eating sausages and serving sausages on Lent. And Zwingli swiftly came to the defense of the printer, and he spoke against Lent, and he spoke about how Lent had degenerated now, you know, his congregant got arrested for this and he spoke about how Lent had degenerated into this Pharisaic practice. And so when we look at the history of Lent, does Christian church history support Lent or does it not support Lent? Well, you have arguments for both sides. You have good arguments for both sides. It really depends on which period of history you want to talk about. Before the Reformation, there are lots, there's lots of good um, history supporting the use of Lent. During the Reformation and after, uh, not so much. Um, so it really depends on how you want to look at history. But the best way to position Lent um, is to say that it's a practice that formed throughout church history, but there is no explicit biblical command for or against it. There's no explicit biblical command for it, and there's no biblical command prohibiting it. So what do we do when there's no command in favor or against a practice um, in the Bible? Well, we as Christians, we use our Christian freedom and our Christian conscience, and we discern what we will do with that tool or that practice. And so Lent is a, I think, Lent is a great tool that could be used by the church or it could be rejected by the church. And so you have history on both sides. But the listeners of this podcast podcast are probably not so much wondering about the history of Lent, but why did P. Dave then decide against uh, doing it publicly at our church? Um, and, you know, there are a couple of reasons why. Um, 
The first reason that um, why I've decided to forego Lent as a congregation is because there's freedom. Okay, uh, we have true freedom in Christ, and this is an actual freedom uh, to uh, pick up things um, that are we are free to use for our spiritual growth. When it comes to things that are neither prohibited or commanded by Scripture, uh, we have freedom there because the Word of God is our only guide and. Since the word of God is silent on these matters, we're free to exercise Christian freedom and conscience. We're free to use Lent, pick it up, and use it for our spiritual growth, or to not use Lent. And there's absolute total freedom in that. Uh, but secondly, and, and more importantly, um, I've decided to forego Lent for the sake of love. And uh, that might be confusing. You might think, what do you mean for the sake of love? Uh, you see, when we practice Christian freedom... Uh, when we practice freedom and conscience, we are not just to do whatever we want. Christian freedom doesn't mean we act however we want. Um, that's not how Christian freedom works. Christian freedom releases us from the law, but it actually binds us to love. You see, Christian freedom uh, gives us the freedom to love apart from the law. And coming out under the law, we are free to act in love. Um, and when you look at the New Testament, uh, Paul talks about uh, how to use Christian freedom. And he especially directs us to think about how to use our freedom, especially in regards to weaker brothers and sisters. Uh, when he talks about weaker brothers and sisters, he's talking about brothers and sisters in our churches who have weaker faith. Or maybe they're newer to the faith. Or they're coming from certain backgrounds where things can be a little bit more confusing for them. And Paul says, you're free, brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to walk over these people or don't use your freedom to make it harder on people to follow Jesus. He says, no, we're called to use our freedom to love. And Paul says in Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He says, we have been given Christian freedom in order that we might love and build people up in our freedom. And so when we have a window of opportunity to use our freedom, we should think about other people and especially think about uh, weaker brothers and sisters. Now, what does that have to do with Lent? You see, there are brothers and sisters who um, may be new to the faith or brothers and sisters who especially have come from the Catholic background uh, where there is a more explicit works righteousness in the faith. Uh, or we might have brothers and sisters who, may, who might come from any other religion because all other religions besides the gospel are works righteousness in one form or another. And in light of that, in light of the fact that we have new brothers and sisters who are new to the faith or brothers and sisters who are coming from other religions and from the Catholic Church, coming from that background... From their perspective, the Lent can be very confusing. It can look a lot like works righteousness. It can look a lot like penance from the Catholic Church. It, and it can look like that we are rejecting certain activities because those activities in and of themselves are sinful. Um, and it can look like we're actually working for our salvation. Now, I know that um, it may not feel comfortable for some people to, to say that we're not going to do something because somebody may misinterpret it, but 
When you look at the New Testament, Paul is talking about exactly that. You know, when he talks about eating food from idols that have been offered to idols, he says, we all know that there's no such thing as idols. We all know that. So when they offer food to idols and then you eat it, you know that it's been offered to nobody. But he said this, but some people still misinterpret that and some people still struggle with that. And so he said, if my eating disturbs someone else's faith, it, it stumbles my brother. He says, I will never eat meat again. And uh, what he means by that is we, we need to in love, um, even if they are misinterpreting it because they're still young in their faith or they're still tied to works righteousness. Me as a stronger brother or sister, I will forego um, something for the sake of their faith. And so... That's one of the reasons I've decided not to do it for the sake of those people who are coming from those backgrounds. From their perspective, it, it can seem like certain activities are sinful when Jesus actually told us that it was the heart. And so in my Christian freedom, um, yes, as the lead pastor, but also just as my Christian freedom as a Christian, I've decided to think about those brothers and sisters and protect their consciences. And yeah, there may be some things that we miss out on uh, because we don't do it, but there are some things that are also protected uh, because of it. And, you know, I want to address the people who really want to do Lent um, as a congregation at Mosaic, and I would encourage you um, in the future or even now um, to engage in Lent, but to do it um, on your own. And in the future, if you uh, desire to receive the ashes, there are lots of churches where you can go and receive these ashes. Um, lots of churches in our area uh, that you could go to. Um, you can go and, and you could receive them. In fact, in the future at Mosaic, we may even offer them. But do not be dismayed. I want to tell you, do not be dismayed by the fact that we don't do Lent together. And I would challenge you, search your heart to see if there's any envy or jealousy of other churches because we seem, quote unquote, less spiritual, right? Because we don't do this and my friend's church does it. And so are we lazy or less spiritual? I want to ask you to search your heart to see if there's envy or jealousy um, of other churches. Uh, it's interesting, Ken Stewart of Covenant College, he warned young evangelicals about uh, Lent and he said to watch out for something he called liturgical inferiority complex, liturgical inferiority complex. And what he meant by that is that we look at other churches and we feel inferior because they have these holy practices that we don't have. And it, you feel less holy uh, because of that. And he said, brothers and sisters, especially young brothers and sisters, don't look at other churches and feel this inferiority complex because somebody at another church posted on social media that they got ashes. He says to be free and I encourage you in the same way, uh, live in freedom, brothers and sisters, uh, live in freedom. You can pick up and use Lent as this wonderful tool that can help you grow, uh, but do not suffer from inferiority complexes. Um, I, I just encourage you to, to use um, the, the Lenten season if the Lord moves your heart because it could be great for you, but do not um, be a slave to anything. Finally, um, I want to address, on the other side, people who feel absolutely no compulsion in your heart to do anything for Lent. Um, if you've not even for a second thought that you might give up something for Lent, I want to say to you that you might consider using Lent uh, for the sake of your growth. 
we live in a consumeristic and material culture. We all know that. And we experience so many pleasures in one day. You know, more pleasures in one day than many people in history, if you think back, didn't experience for many months at a time. We experience so many pleasures in one day. And some of us, if we search our hearts and if we are honest, are actually chained to some of these pleasures. And we're actually chained to some of these material things. And we don't even know it. And if there are chains in your heart, uh, my brother and sister, if there are chains then these chains keep us from following Jesus. And I encourage you to search your heart for these things. And maybe in this season, it's good for you to pick up the tool of Lent and use it to kill your flesh. It may be helpful for you, especially if you've never even given a second thought about doing something for the Lenten season. You know, with my young disciples um, at our church, we text each other every morning at 6.30 a.m. And one of the reasons we do that is we're trying to help each other wake up early and get into the word early. And none of my guys, they're morning people. And we do that because we are seeking to pursue Christ and to kill our flesh. Uh, we say, uh, fill and kill, right? Fill and kill. That's kind of our, one of our mantras. Uh, we fill with the spirit in the morning and we kill the flesh, fill and kill, because the flesh and the habits of the flesh are often what is keeping many of us from growing. And we have to kill the flesh in order to be filled with the spirit. They have to happen uh, simultaneously. It's the only way to grow. And so in, in the same spirit, I ask you, maybe it's good for you. You know, what do you think? Maybe it's good for you to pick up something or to drop something for this Lenten season and to use the tool of Lent because you're free, brother. Uh, you're free, sister, to use it. Um, if you want spiritual growth and kill the flesh, it may be good to use the Lenten season to your advantage. Deny and kill the chains uh, that keep you from growing and following Jesus. Um, you know, I, I know that there's a popular resurgence of Lent in our time. And uh, I think that if we let it be what it's supposed to be, uh, it can be a really great tool for the Christian. It could be a really great tool for growth. Um, it, it's something the Christian is free to use for his growth, but it's something that the Christian is free to abstain from. We act in freedom. But in our freedom, uh, brothers and sisters, we always need to consider how to love, how to love one another and not stumble one another. And so I've used my freedom to decide not to pick up the tool of Lent uh, as a congregation and use it. Um, but if you feel uh, compelled uh, by the Lord to use Lent and maybe you know, receive ashes in the future, if these are things that you desire to do, I encourage you to pick up this wonderful tool in your freedom and use it to grow. Whatever you, you can use uh, to grow, uh, I would encourage you, do it. And you won't regret it. You know, you won't regret it. And I really want to encourage you to think about it that way. Well, Mosaic, I hope this episode was helpful to you in thinking through Lent um, in this season. And um, I love you, Mosaic. And until the next time, I, uh, this has been Mosaic News. I, I hope it's been helpful and you enjoyed the episode. And I'll see you later. When the heart breaks, when my life is torn in two, I will praise you. When the laughing turns to weeping, when the dancing